0: Good morning. Welcome to Okotok's Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. Well, we're excited to get back into the book of 1 Samuel this morning. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll begin reading here at verse 1, and it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God now if you were just opening up your Bible and happened to land here in first Samuel chapter 2 and you read that you might wonder what's going on here who's this Hannah person and why is she praying in this particular way well if you remember from last week we saw that Hannah was a woman who had a marvelous encounter with God now she was a woman with many problems She was barren, meaning she was unable to have a child. She had significant problems that sprung from the shame of that. She was tormented by her husband's other wife, who could have kids. And and in her pain and anguish, she cried out to the Lord. And she vowed that she that if she had a son, that she would give that son to the Lord. She would dedicate him in a special and unique way. She would give him back to the Lord for all of his life. And we left off last week with Hannah bringing little Samuel, all of about three years old, to the house of the Lord, to the tabernacle in Shiloh. And you could imagine the emotions that were welling up in the heart of Hannah. Hannah. Yet in the midst of all of that, she could still worship the Lord there. As we saw at the end of chapter 1 and verse 28. And and so now in the midst of that that emotional farewell and time of worship and dedication, we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. And it's known as Hannah's song. And even though verse 1 tells us that she prayed here, and you all do know, though, that you can also pray in song, right? And the reason that it's called Hannah's Song is because in the original Hebrew, there is a beat, there's a meter, there's a rhythm that leads most scholars to believe that she sang all these words. And friends, I believe with all my heart that Hannah had been working on this song while Samuel was still in her womb. That she had been working on this song for three years at least. (laughs) Probably more. And that she knew that when this day came that she would have to leave her son at the tabernacle. That she was going to sing this song to the Lord and it prepared her heart Because she knew she couldn't have gotten through any other way. But I want you to notice how she begins this beautiful song. Notice it wasn't Hannah sings, I rejoice because I'm giving away my son. No, she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And friends, I know that many of you are experiencing incredibly painful circumstances in your life incredible difficulty and you put your best church smile on when you come in on Sunday morning to try to mask the hurt that you feel in your heart but understand you can still rejoice in the Lord maybe not in your circumstances but you can rejoice in the Lord in the midst of that and And I need to say that again. Rejoice not in the circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. And Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Well, Hannah continues her song here if you look. It says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. You know, the Bible uses many pictures and symbols just like this one. And the idea behind this one represents something more like an ox or a steer. And they thrust forth their horns and that's, they're showing their power and their strength. So Hannah is saying, my mind, my power is in the Lord. And then it says, I smile at my enemies. And in a way, it's kind of like Hannah's bragging here. I was brought low. I was being persecuted. I had my rival Panana, who used to mock me for being childless, but God saw me, and He delivered me. And I don't mind bragging a little bit about that here. I'm smiling at my enemies, but please notice she isn't boasting in herself. She's boasting in the Lord because I rejoice in what? Your salvation. Well, let's take a look at verse 3. And as I read this, I like to picture in my mind what Hannah is doing here. And this is just kind of my picture. It doesn't necessarily have to be inspired. But in the first two verses, I see her standing at this dedication ceremony and she's singing to the Lord. And I see her just closing her eyes and she's worshiping. There's none like you, O Lord. You alone are my rock. I rejoice in your salvation. But then she gets to verse 3. And it's just me, but I kind of picture her opening her eyes. And maybe she looks over at Peninnah, who would have been there in the audience, and she says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And it was like she was saying, you know, you were my rival. You were speaking arrogantly towards me. You were constantly boasting as if these things were your doing, when really you should have just closed your mouth and been more humble. So Hannah's saying, but now I'm going to boast not about myself, but of God because He's a great God. He's the one who judges our actions. He's the one who weighs our hearts. And He's the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And friends, that's a great reason for us to be humble before the Lord. Because we may be able to put on a facade in front of other people but we can never hide who we really are from God. You know, we can express pride in many different ways. We can express it by our facial expressions. We can do it by our body language, but most of the time we do it by using our mouths. And frankly, many of us would seem far more humble if we just didn't talk so much. And that's really what Hannah is saying here. Stop talking so much. Stop that arrogant trash talk. Stop the self-exalting talk because God already knows who you really are. Well, verse 4 goes on. It says, But the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory and friends in this portion of the song Hannah has warned against pride and now she gives us reasons why we should all be humble before the Lord and again I just can't help but picture her thinking or at least looking towards Peninnah at times while she's saying this well then why should we humble ourselves before the Lord well I'm going to give you two good reasons The first one is because God knows how to humble the strong. And maybe you're strong right now. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe everything is just going wonderfully in your life. Don't become proud. Humble yourself before the Lord because it's far better for you to humble yourself than for Him to humble you. But there's another reason we should humble ourselves before the Lord, and that's because God knows how to exalt the weak and the lowly. And maybe you're weak right now. Maybe you're in that low place. Well, if you're in that low place, we should wait humbly before God so that he can lift us up. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. So friends, choose that lower place and ask the Lord to make you content with being humble. You know, many of us can be content with that humble place if we choose it. If we're in charge of our humbleness, then we can be happy about it. And we can take that humble place because there's kind of a pride that can work even in our humility. Okay. I'll be the humble one here. Just let me show you how humble I am. I bet I'm twice as humble as you are. In fact, I'm the most humble person I know. I even wrote a book on this subject, Humility and How I Attained It. But friends, if you truly want to see how humble you truly are, look at your heart when other people treat you as lowly. When other people treat you as just a servant. When other people don't acknowledge your service. Because that becomes a whole different kettle of fish, doesn't it? I mean, how dare they treat me like that? But if you can say, I'm just serving the Lord. It doesn't matter to me what people say then you can see that the Lord is really working that heart of humility in you. Well, Hannah concludes her song here in the second half of verse 8. It says, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of His saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Do you understand what he's saying here? What she's saying? She's saying that God is in control. And the reason that the high are brought low and the low are, are brought high is because he's in control of it all. And nothing will happen to his saints that God does not authorize. But I just love how Hannah winds up her song. Or her praise to God wasn't just for what He had done in the past, but for what He would do in the future. And friends, I don't know if Hannah had like a great singing voice or not, But I bet it was the most beautiful song that was ever sung at the tabernacle in Shiloh. Tears are streaming down her face. Her voice filled with emotion. As she finishes this song with a voice of triumph, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. But there's something you need to remember here. At this point in time, there was no political king in Israel. So who is he talking about? Or who is she talking about when she says he will give strength to his king? She's talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, his anointed. Do you know what the word anointed means in the Hebrew language? Do you know that? Messiah Do you know what the word anointed means in the Greek language? It means Christ. So friends, this is the first time that the Bible call or in the in the entire Bible that Jesus is called the Christ. And Hannah did it. Isn't that amazing? Way to go, Hannah. <laughs> Well, verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child m- ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And this really is a short yet powerful verse. Look at it. Elkanah goes home, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Here's this little boy, three or four years old, so cute, and yet, He's serving the Lord. How could he serve the Lord? Well, this verse teaches us two very important things. One, you can serve the Lord in very humble, practical, simple ways. It shows us that some of the most glorious service to God is not reserved for the pulpit, but happens in the smallest Practical details. You guys might not think of it this way, but when you're setting up chairs before church, when you're sweeping the floor after the service, or you're collecting the used communion cups, or the kids, when they're helping the teachers clean up after kids' church, that's serving the Lord. And all of those things could be done by a three- or four-year-old child as ministry unto the Lord. But the second thing it teaches us is that little children can serve the Lord. Your child doesn't have to be old and grown before they can serve the Lord. Even your little child can serve the Lord. And what a wonderful thing to teach them the joy of serving Jesus. Well, in the movie that's running in through my head right now, the background would now become dark and foreboding, and the music would become ominous and evil. As we shift the scene from the delight of seeing young Samuel joyfully serving to a pair of very evil characters, The sons of the high priest, Eli. And verse 12 tells us, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now you may be thinking here, wait a minute, are you telling me that the sons of the high priest, the top dog of all religious officials, the man who would go into the holiest of holies once a year on the Day of Atonement, the lead worshiper in all of Israel, his kids didn't know the Lord? That's exactly what I'm telling you. My friends, your salvation is not passed on genetically. You're not a Christian just because your parents or your grandparents are Christians. And while you can be thankful for that strong Christian spiritual, godly heritage, it doesn't save you. Living in a so-called Christian nation or attending a Christian church doesn't save you. Following after Jesus Christ is an individual choice that each individual makes. And even though these boys had a godly father, even though they worked in the tabernacle, even though they helped perform many religious rituals, and even though they recited many prayers to God, they did not know the Lord. You see, my friends, knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord are two totally different things. And that's why it's so important to have a passionate commitment to Jesus yourself. So what was so bad about these sons of Eva, Eli? Well, notice here in verse 13 it says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. It's important to understand that many of the offerings and the sacrifices that an Israelite would bring, some of these offerings would be given entirely to the Lord. But some of them, there was a portion of their offering that would go to the priests. So in the case of a sin offering, it was a burnt offering before the Lord and it was all consumed. But a peace offering or a thank offering or a fellowship offering, what you would do is you would sacrifice the animal, you would pour the blood out on the altar, and then you would give a portion of that animal to the Lord. Usually it would be the fattest portion because it was considered the best or the choicest. It was the delicacy. And of course, if you're going to give something to God, you want to give Him the best, right? So you'd give the portion to the Lord, and then you would give a portion to the priest. Now, according to the law of Moses, it said that the priest would get the shoulder portion and some breast uh, portion of the animal, and that would be like his pay or compensation for his help with the sacrifice. So you have that portion that's given to God, then you have that portion that's given to the priest, and then you have a portion that's given to the offerer. And essentially what would happen is that they would take uh, their portion of the offering and they would basically go out and they'd have a barbecue, they'd have a feast with their whole family. But you know what the sons of Eli were doing? they would go and they would rip off the people and take some of their portion. The portion that they were given wasn't enough, so they ripped off God's people. And if that wasn't enough, look at verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the... The man said to him, you should really burn the fat first. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord. And men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You see what's going on here? Not only are they ripping the people off, but they're wanting their portion first before God. They're ripping off God. They're desiring the best portions for themselves. And when the people would object, then they would demand it from them and threaten to take it from them by force. And what's even more interesting is that Eli's son didn't do this directly. They sent their servants out to do it. These subordinates would go out for them. That way they didn't have to do the dirty work themselves and they could just go, well, well, it wasn't us. We didn't do it. But God held Eli's wicked sons responsible for this. And they were not going to be able to hide that from God, were they? Friends, I want you to see the result of this wickedness here in verse 17. It says, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means that they hated to bring sacrifices to God. The very thing that they should have loved to do. They should have been rejoicing to come and to bring sacrifice for God, but now they hated it because they were being cheated by the priests and the priests were bringing disgrace to God and their offering and friends it's heartbreaking to me that this still happens in the church today that people come to hate the ministry of God or come to hate The church of God because of greedy and wicked servants. How many people have been turned away from God's work because they've had a terrible encounter with a wicked servant? And even though the sons of Eli Eli may not be gone from the church today, I want you to know something. Neither are the Samuels. God still has his Samuels in the church, and as bad as Eli's sons were, Samuel was different. He was good. And if Eli's sons would not be worthy successors, God would raise up someone else, and he did just that in the person of Samuel. Well, now the camera shifts again, and the lights get brighter and pleasant music begins as we see little Samuel cheerfully serving the Lord, look at verse 18. It says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Can you just picture this sweet little boy with this little s- priest uniform on? I mean, like, that's just adorable to me. <clears throat> and verse 19 says, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year, when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. It's such a beautiful picture, right, Hannah? She's just carefully sewing that coat for Samuel. And she had to make it in time for the yearly sacrifice at the tabernacle. And, of course, it's a year in between seeing him. She's got to, like, guess how big he is. Like, am I going to get the size right? And you can just picture him, like, you know, maybe the sleeves are a little too long or something for him. That's just how my mind works. But she wouldn't have those exact measurements. And, and uh, you know, you could just imagine her shedding many tears as she made this coat with love for him every year. And you can just imagine how excited Samuel would be to receive this treasured gift every year. He would cherish it. He may even sleep with it because it served as a testament of his mother's love for him. Verse 20. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Did you see that? This woman who was barren, God gave her a son. She gave all she had back to the Lord. And God gives her three more sons and two more daughters. Isn't that beautiful? My friends, you can never outgive God. You can go ahead and try if you want. If you give of your time, God will bless you for it. If you give of your talents, God will bless you for it. If you give of your resources, God will bless you. For it. You cannot outgive God. Now, you don't give to get, <laughs> but when you give from that heart of love and humility, He will bless you for it. Because God will never be in debt to anybody. There's nobody who can say, God, you owe me. It just can't happen. It won't happen, it's impossible. we see at the end of verse 21 that Samuel grew before the Lord. And Friends, you've got to be impressed by the way Samuel was given to the Lord. and By the way, God blessed Hannah with so much in return. And right now, maybe the Lord is dealing with your heart about something that you need to give to him. Maybe there's some aspect of your time or your talents or your resources that the Lord's trying to get your attention about. Maybe there's that secret place in your heart that God is calling you to give to Him. And maybe you're worried about doing that. Friends, God will always reward you when you are obedient to Him. When you lay down before him what he is calling you to give to him. So there's really no need to be afraid to respond to his call to your heart. So I'm going to ask you just give it to him right now. Whatever it is, give it to him, and he'll bless you for it. And let's pray now and ask God to do that work our hearts right now. Father, I think it's so easy for us to to think that it's our time, it's our talent, it's our resources. Everything we have came from you. Everything we have belongs to you. Lord you've given it to us to be used to glorify and to honor you Lord I'm so thankful for this example of Hannah she didn't just loan her son to God she gave him she relinquished her claim on him He's yours. Lord, I believe that this morning you're speaking to hearts. Lord, help us to respond. To give to you what is already yours. And allow you to use it and multiply it. And in the process, we get an amazing blessing from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.